due to today's date, I wanted to take a special sermon and bring it before you. And because today is referred to as Sanctity of Life Sunday. This started back in 1984 when the president at the time, President Reagan, uh, designated Sunday, January 22nd as National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And he noted that it was the 11th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Now, we don't stop every year uh, necessarily to let's preach a special sermon on this. It's been about four years since I've done that. But I think it's time again. It's time for us to hear this truth. There's a whole lot of people who've come to our church since then. There's people who've been saved in the last four years who've maybe never heard what the Bible has to say about abortion. This is a serious topic. It's not one of lightheartedness. It's not one where you walk away uh, rejoicing necessarily. But it is a truth that we need to hear. There is something in Scripture about it. Sometimes people say that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about abortion. But that's a lie. That's like saying the Bible has nothing to say about euthanasia. Nothing to say about death. Nothing to say about murder. The Bible touches on all those subjects. Approximately 3,300 children are killed by abortion every day in the United States. I've asked the guys in the sound booth to put up a live counter. And every time this number changes, it shows you that a child has died due to abortion. So far this year, 1.9 million and counting every second when that number changes. A soul goes out of the world and goes to be with God. Every time that changes, a child has been aborted. Americans kill 1.2 million unborn children every year. In any other context, we would call that mass murder. The World Health Organization, which estimates that 73 million abortions take place every year in the world, approximately 125,000 every day. By the end of today, 125,000 unborn children will be aborted. Compare that to 6 million, and some people say maybe 10 million Jews died in the Holocaust. There's a Holocaust happening every few weeks in this world. 73 million a year means that a third of all pregnancies end in abortion in the world. A third of all pregnancies end in abortion. By this time next week, more babies will have been killed just in this year than all the deaths that have been attributed to COVID in the last year. About 2 million COVID deaths so far. That's going to surpass it just in a few weeks and will continue all the way up to 73 million. 55% of all deaths in the world are due to abortion. You might think cancer is serious, and it is. You might think heart disease is serious, and it is. COVID, all the things that are out there that take human lives. But those only amount to about 59 million a year. Abortion is 73 million. Before we say this is a Christian country, we might want to consider how many millions of babies are dying in this country every year. I say, don't tell me that we're a Christian country when our laws on abortion are a little better than China. Maybe we were founded with that idea, but we've drifted far from that. Now, debates on abortion usually range in the realm of politics, uh, personal rights, feminism, sexual rights, moral values. 
But there's really only one question that matters to us as Christians. One question that we must start with. And then we can branch out from there and talk about these other things if you desire. But the question is, what does the Bible say about abortion? If the Bible says it's wrong, if the Bible says it's a sin, that's what we have to believe. We don't have a choice. It doesn't matter what you believe. First and most importantly, it matters what the Bible says. What does God tell us to believe? Ignoring the Bible just means that that people ignore and support abortion. Ignoring the truth of God's word just either gives people the thought that they can do this or that it's not a big deal and they can just ignore it. One professing Christian I knew once put on social media. She went to a church. She went to a Bible-believing church. But she posted on social media that she didn't deal with any arguments about abortion because it was all about politics anyway. It was just one side against another. And that's easy for people to kind of move it off into that category so I don't have to think about it, I don't have to worry about it. But it's a biblical issue. It's an issue that God has something to say about. Today I want to give you five biblical statements on abortion that we should consider. There's more that can be said, but in the next 50 minutes or so, I just want to tell you five statements that I think we can find clearly portrayed in Scripture. Number one, life is a precious gift. It's not even a question for believers. Life is a precious gift. This starts in the beginning of the Bible. It goes all the way through the Bible. And in Revelation, we see eternal life. It's so precious. It's such a gift by God that those who trust in Christ get it eternally in a perfected body. Let's start in Genesis chapter 1. If you want to follow along, Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Everyone is created in the image and likeness of God. Repeated in the New Testament as well. James is talking about the tongue. In James 3.9, he says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. He's pointing back to Genesis 1.27. We are made in the likeness of God, in the image of God. That has a special designation compared to everything else in creation. Animals aren't made in the likeness and image of God. Nothing in creation comes close to the pinnacle of creation, which is man. Man and woman made in the likeness of God. The Bible tells us over and over that God opens and closes the womb. God opens and closes the womb. Genesis 20, God closed up the wombs of Abimelech's household. Do you remember when Abimelech took Sarah, Abraham's wife? Because Abraham lied, said it was his sister, not his wife. Abimelech took Sarah, and God closed the wombs of all the women in his whole household. He opened Leah's womb and made Rachel barren in Genesis 29. It is always attributed to God. You remember in the story uh, in 1 Samuel, where Samuel's mother is praying that God would open her womb, and he does. And she has Samuel. Life begins at conception. Not only is life a gift because we're made in the image of God, because God opens and closes the womb, but also because He creates us at conception. The moment the sperm fertilizes the egg, that's when life begins. That's not really a question scientifically even. Everyone knows that. They might try to tell you something different. This is what the Bible teaches. 
Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Who forms children in the womb? God. Job 31.15, did not he who made me in the womb make other men and the same one fashion us in the womb? Who creates people? God does. Yes, he uses us. He uses our biology. He uses our DNA. But God does it. The Bible always attributes this to God. Go with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 makes this very clear. Let's start in verse 13. Psalm 139, 13. For you formed my inward parts, the organs, all of those parts that make us up. David says here, you formed them, God. You wove me in my mother's womb. God puts us together there. He takes the, the mother and the father's DNA and he, and he creates and weaves it together into a life. He puts a soul into that matter. He creates a person. And it says here, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. That speaks of God's sovereignty. That speaks of the awe that Joey was talking about. The awe that comes from God creating a life. Isaiah says in Isaiah 44, 24, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the one who formed you in the womb. Who forms every human person? God. Now science will ignore that often. You'll hear people tell you that it's just a matter of, of biology. It's just a matter of chemistry. But as Christians, we have the Bible, and it tells us that God has done it. Let's go forward into the New Testament. Go to Luke chapter 1. This is an amazing passage. Any woman here that's ever been pregnant, you, you know what it feels like to feel the baby move inside you. And look at Luke 141, and we hear of Elizabeth. This is Mary's kinfolk. This is the mother of John the Baptist. Let's start back in Luke 1.39. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me, this is Elizabeth, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord, she knows that Mary is carrying the Messiah, would come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. God has created that baby in Elizabeth's womb. And it leaped for joy. The Greek word is brephos. It's the same Greek word that's used when the baby's out of the womb. The same Greek word is used when the baby is in the womb. There's no change. There's no difference. From biblical teaching, that's a life. That's a child. Whether it's covered with fluid and tissue or whether it's out breathing on its own. Jesus is in Mary's womb at the same time, isn't he? Was Jesus a life? Was Jesus a person before he came out of the womb? Well, of course, we say he's fully God and he's existed in his divinity forever and ever and ever. He's also a fully human person. 
which means when the Holy Spirit created his body, when the Holy Spirit created his humanity inside Mary's womb, he started out as a little embryo that grew and grew and grew for nine months. And then he was born into this world. Fully God, but also fully human. He was not just a blob of tissue. He was a life. The Bible has a lot to say about children. Let's go back to the Psalms now. We've already looked at Psalm 13, just speaking of creating a person. But what about children? Are children something that we should see as a blessing? Because much of the issue of abortion starts right here. How do we think about children? 127, starting in verse 3. God wants to be very clear because In ancient times, children weren't seen as much at all. They weren't seen as being a full person, except in the nation of Israel because they had God's word. And Christians have God's word today. And we know this is what God's word said. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, of Yahweh. They're a gift from God. God's people are supposed to recognize that. They're supposed to acknowledge that. Children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Children are a gift of the Lord. Children are a blessing. It is a good thing. A child is a good thing. Even though sometimes they they can really annoy you, they can cost you money, they can do all of these sinful things because they're totally depraved when they come out. They're a gift. They're a gift. God has created a life, given a life, and blessed that family. And he didn't specify what kind of family they would be born into, what kind of situation. It doesn't matter. They are a gift of the Lord. When the disciples thought children were a nuisance to Christ's ministry, when all the little children, the little toddlers, the three and four and five and six-year-olds were running up to Jesus, And the moms were bringing these little toddlers and babies for Jesus to put his hands on. The disciples said, he doesn't have time for that. Get those children away. And Jesus said, let the children alone. This is Matthew 19, verse 14. Let the children alone. Do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He's not just saying that we need to have a childlike faith as adults. He does say that in other places. In that verse... He is saying there's actually children that are going to be in heaven. Children who die young. And Jesus wants them around him in his earthly ministry as well. The kingdom of heaven. As Christians, we have to speak biblically about raising children. It starts right here. Our biblical beliefs about childbirth, about pregnancy, about raising children. They're a gift. They're a blessing. We've got to speak of that. We we tell jokes because they are sometimes a pain. But let's watch how we talk about parenting, about the birth process. Much of what we say influences our children, influences our friends, influences unbelievers. Let's never speak of of pregnancy as a disease. A lot of abortionists will speak of pregnancy as a disease that needs to be cured, that needs to be gotten rid of. And after they've had their abortion, they feel like that disease is no longer there. They even have charts that say, If you keep your baby, here's all the changes that will happen to your body. You'll gain weight. You'll do all these different things. Trying to scare people about pregnancy. Let's not do that as Christians. Let's talk about birth itself. 
Yeah, it's painful. That's part of the curse. Genesis 3 talks about that. But let's not overplay that. I've never had a child myself, obviously, but my wife has had nine of them. And I've been there for each one. And it's not painless, but there's a great joy. I've caught most of those nine. She made it through. We have lots of technology today that helps even moms in difficult situations at birth. Let's not speak more about the pain than the blessing. One of those stories happened eight years ago today. Eight years ago today, I went to class. I was in seminary going to Greek exegesis. I got there. My wife said, it might be today. I don't know. I'll text you. I sat down for 10 minutes in class, and she says, I think it's going to be today. I think you better get ready. Come now. Those were the the series of texts that I got. And this was about 7.45 in the morning. And I'm 30 minutes away in L.A. traffic. So I run out to the parking lot, get in the car, and then I get a picture of this newborn baby who had fallen out on his head in the bathroom floor. Thankfully, we had carpet, and everything turned out fine. Uh, There's nothing wrong with him today. And that was a very painless birth, almost. I mean, there was a couple of coughs and a sneeze or something like that. I was concerned. I thought, what if something's wrong? What if he hit his head? And I rushed home sped even faster than L.A. traffic, and sure enough, he was fine. The midwife showed up. My daughter was there about eight years old at the time, 10, and helped mom, and everything turned out great. Yeah, birth has some pain associated with it. Let's not scare people away from pregnancy, birth, and even raising children. Children cost money, and you hear young couples say they can't afford a child yet. When Christians say that, what does that tell the single mom who's struggling who didn't even expect to be pregnant, and because of life choices they are, and they hear a Christian couple saying, but there's not enough money to have kids. And that couple has a home and a job, and yet this mom thinks there's no hope for me. If they have all the things that the world says you should have to have a child and still don't want to, that tells a single mom that she's not going to be able to make it. So life is a precious gift. Let's just start there with the truth of Scripture and remind people of that. Number two, abortion is the murder of an unborn child. Abortion is the murder of an unborn child. Everyone knows that murder is wrong. And God has placed a law in our hearts, all of us. We we know right from wrong. We know it. That's not even a question. Even the unbeliever knows in their heart when something is wrong. They they cover it up. They sear their conscience. They try to do things like drugs and alcohol to sort of ease their conscience on such issues. But murder is wrong. 38 states treat the killing of the unborn child as homicide. Go to an abortion clinic, it's not considered homicide. If someone damages the woman's womb and the child dies, or the mom takes the child's life on her own, that's considered homicide in 38 states. In an article on the Arizona Star a few years ago, Dr. Steve Calvin says, In a letter there, he says, There is inescapable schizophrenia in aborting a perfectly normal 22-week fetus while at the same hospital performing intrauterine surgery on its cousin. One child is premature or has to be taken out of the womb because of a health issue, 22 weeks, and yet another child at 22 weeks is being killed. Everyone knows that's a life. How is it right that if a woman wants her unborn baby, then... All efforts 
are given to save that unborn baby. But if a woman doesn't want it, then she can kill it. It's not right. It shouldn't be left up to the decision of a sinful human being when God has said it's a life. God told his people, Israel, that even if a baby is harmed or killed by accident in the womb, that there should be punishment because it's treated as a murder. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. You need to see this because the Bible doesn't have to mention specifically abortion if it mentions cases that are even less severe and says that they're wrong. We reason from Scripture to show that abortion is wrong too. Exodus chapter 20, just with the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. Shall not murder. There's no way around that. Shall not murder. Chapter 21 of Exodus, he begins to explain this. So chapter 21 of Exodus, verse 22. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child. She has a child, the Bible says. It's not blob of DNA goo, but it's a child. So that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury. He shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. You see that phrase in verse 22? She gives birth prematurely, it says in the NASB. It's not the word for a miscarriage. In English, we think of a miscarriage as something that's unplanned, that ends the child's life, a sickness, an illness. Only God knows sometimes why a child doesn't survive long in the womb. And there is a term in Hebrew for miscarriage. It's used three places in the Old Testament, but not here. This is not a miscarriage that just happens. This man has hit the woman. Maybe he's fighting with her husband. He's hit the woman in some way. And it's forced her baby to come out. That's literally what the Hebrew says. It's forced the children out. The child has been forced out. Her child comes out. And what happens to the child tells you the penalty. Life for life. If the child loses its life, the Old Testament called for the people of Israel to take the person's life who did that. But wasn't this just an accident? Wasn't this just an accident? Well, that's the point. Even for an accident, the death penalty was inflicted in some cases because God values life. Even for an accident. So how much more so when it's intentional? goes back to Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Why? Because everyone's created in the image of God. And taking a life is playing God. It's clear throughout the Bible. Jesus said similar things. You remember when Peter picked up a sword? Live by the sword, what? Die by the sword. He's not saying you can never own a sword. He's saying if you go about living by the sword, and you do things that you shouldn't do, then you're going to die by the sword. The government, in that case, will punish you. John Calvin, the reformer, was writing on Exodus 21. He says that the fetus, enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being. And it is a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. If it seems more horrible to kill a man in his own house than in a field, because a man's house is his place of most secure refuge, it ought surely to be deemed more atrocious to destroy a fetus in the womb before it has come to light. Proverbs 6.16 There are six things which the Lord hates. 
And then 616 begins to list these. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. God hates that. The early church believed these same things. They, they took their cues from Scripture. They took their foundation from the Bible. So you see after the apostles that this continues. It's only the modern liberal church, the modern worldly church that starts to deny this. But in the early church, a writing called the Epistle of Barnabas, written just after the apostles, said, Thou shalt not murder a child by abortion, nor again shalt thou kill it when it is born. The Didache, another writing at this time, You shall not abort a child or commit infanticide. See, that's what the pagans did. The pagans took their children and they just threw them out on the rocks. The pagans tried to figure out ways to abort a child that they didn't want. There were people living a promiscuous lifestyle in the Roman world, in the Greek world. And they would take different potions and pills, do different things like smash the belly to try to get the child to be aborted. Well, there's one more series of verses we need to look at on this. People say abortion is not in the Bible, but it is in the sense of murder is wrong and murder of children is wrong. Leviticus 20, go to Leviticus 20, and we hear about this God of the pagans called Molech. Molech. Molech comes up a lot in the Old Testament. God hates the false gods. They're just demons posing as gods. God hates them. And God tells Israel before they even go into the land, before there's ever a Molech worshipped, He tells them not to worship the false god Molech. The Canaanites worship Molech. Molech was often pictured with a large human body and a bull's head, arms outstretched. So they would build a statue, sometimes made of, of bronze, where Molech would have his hands out like this. And it would be a, a huge statue up on a hill. And the fathers would take their babies up. And sacrifice him to Moloch. And the priests would build a great fire. Either inside this bronze hollowed out statue to heat the metal up. Or all around the base. And the child would be offered up by the father. And left there while the drums beat and the flutes played. And they would watch their child sizzle and burn and die. So here's what God has to say about that. Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20 verse 2. Any man from the sons of Israel, from the aliens who are joining in Israel, who gives any of his offspring to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will also set my face against that man, and will cut him off from among his people, because he has given some of his offspring to Molech, his children, his babies, so as to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. If the people of the land, however, should ever disregard that man, when he gives any of his offspring to Molech, so as not to put him to death, then I myself will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut off from among their people both him and all those who play the harlot after him by playing the harlot after Moloch. Even the family is responsible in that case. Why? Because they supported it. They, they were okay with it. Jeremiah 32 speaks of Moloch. Jeremiah 32, 35, they built the high places of Baal. Why did Israel get taken into captivity? Aren't they God's people? Jeremiah says they built the high places of Baal that are in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. This is God speaking through his prophet Jeremiah. To cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Moloch, which I had not commanded them, nor had it entered my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. God never commanded it. God never indicated it. 
God never even thought of it in the fact of wanting it to happen. And yet they did it anyway. And here's one in Ezekiel 16, 20. And this is heartbreaking here. He says, Moreover, you took your sons and daughters whom you had born to me. God says, those children were mine. And sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. The word there is to eat, to be devoured, to be consumed. People would take food to the idols and set it out front. And they would expect that the idol would consume it. And of course, when they left, the priest would come out and eat it. The people would come back and say, look, the the God ate my food. Well, God is saying, you put them out for these false gods, these demons to devour. You put your babies out there. Were your harlotries so small a matter? Ezekiel says, you slaughtered my children. They're God's children. He created them. They're his. You slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. Why do Americans sacrifice their children at the altar of Planned Parenthood? Why? You know, they weren't just doing this in ancient times for the god Moloch for fun. They didn't enjoy necessarily watching their babies burn. They did it because they thought it would bring them prosperity. They did it because they thought the one true God had ignored them. They, they did it because they turned away from him in sin and sought some other way to be healthy and wealthy and wise and all the things that they wanted. Well, today, why do people often commit abortions? So that their life will be better in their own eyes. In their own eyes. They, they think it will be less trouble, less stress, better financially, easier. It's no wonder that the Holocaust of abortions today greatly exceed anything that probably happened in ancient times with the god Moloch. They don't believe the modern-day abortion holocaust is similar to the worship of Moloch. It's greater. It's just as sinful, but even more so. Because we made it easy. We put it behind closed doors in our country and around the world. That's why so many people say that it's worship of self. We've made ourselves gods. What's most important is your future, your success, your career, your life. You not having any stress. You not having to go through changes or embarrassment or having other people see you pregnant or having people know that you're the father of a child out of wedlock. This is what a judge said in 1992. Roe v. Wade was being challenged in the Supreme Court. Justice Anthony Kennedy said the ability of women to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation has been facilitated by their ability to control their reproductive lives. I'll translate that into plain English. He's saying that abortion is necessary in America so that women can have a successful life and be prosperous. A justice of the Supreme Court. It's no wonder that Billy Graham's wife once famously said, if God doesn't punish America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We read of Sodom and Gomorrah being burned and being crushed and disappearing, turning into salt. And yet, how many people are dying every year in America, every year in the world through abortion? Last year, you probably saw it on the news. There was a new law passed in New York. Abortions all the way up to birth. The first state to do that, they were celebrating in the state legislature. Celebrating around the same time. The U.S. Congress passed a law that would make cruelty to animals a felony punishable by up to seven years in prison. You can take the life of an unborn child and people celebrate. If you kill an endangered species, 
seven years in prison. In fact, if you touch the eggs of a bald eagle, maximum of five years in prison, $250,000 fine for a conviction. How is that right? How is that sane? How is that even something that could happen in what people once called a Christian country? Number three, the third statement today, there are no excuses for murder. And I want to go through some of these because you'll hear them. Other people will say them. If you want to waste your time online, which I don't recommend, there's tons of arguments all day long. And they all boil down to mainly these that I'm going to list. Number one, the excuse is it's not a life. It's not a person. That's just a ruse. Sometimes they'll substitute the word fetus because they think people don't know what fetus is in Latin. But guess what fetus is in Latin? The word for an unborn life, a child. So they took a word that people weren't familiar with and they inserted it in. And that way people could say, yeah, it's a fetus, of course. And then fetus gets used as something that doesn't have life. Everyone knows that that's a child in the womb, a life, a living child. In 1981, a Harvard University professor of the medical school there testified at the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, it is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception and that this developing human always is a member of our species in all stages of life. We've known this. Everybody's always known it. God has put it in our hearts that we know right from wrong, and we know it. And today's 3D ultrasounds make it clear. It's astonishing what you can see. 3D ultrasounds. Naomi Wolf, uh, uh, an advisor under President Clinton, who supported abortion, wrote, clinging to a rhetoric about abortion in which there is no life and no death, we entangle our beliefs in a series of self-delusions, fibs, and evasions. She said, the death of a fetus is a real death. It's always been known. That's why John Piper has this famous article titled, We Know They Are Killing Children, All of Us Know. It's not even a question. Scientifically, everybody knows it. If they say differently, it's just because they're trying to convince themselves. Number two, there must be freedom in women's health care. We hear that a lot, especially as elections roll around. This issue comes up. There must be freedom in women's health care. A woman has a right over her own body. The problem is that's not her body. That child is a different body, a new body, a new life. Yes, it's inherited DNA from her body, but that's not her life to take or the doctor who's doing the procedure or anyone who helps her take that life just like the devil in the garden of eden he tempts us to want to control our own life he tempts us with this promise of freedom you know the problem the devil said with god is he doesn't want you to be like him and know all things no good from evil so take this fruit and you'll be fine she thought she was getting freedom but what did she end up with slavery slavery to sin Satan dangles the idea of freedom, and it just enslaves you. Feminism says women should have as much freedom in life as men. We won't even talk about how to define that, how they misuse the word freedom. The point is, that's a life, and we don't have the freedom to take a life. God is the only one who can do that, and we can't play God. No one can play God. God says, do not murder. Number three, limit population. This was a big one in the 60s and 70s 
We're all going to be standing on top of people. There's going to be waste, human waste in the streets. We'll have to wade through it. There's only so much land. The world is growing too fast. China implemented policies. Only could have one child. That's not worked out well for them. Don't believe in overpopulation. Not having enough children to support the population is a problem in most Western countries. And even in Eastern countries like China. They have all these men, young men without wives in Japan. And soon coming in America, there's not going to be enough money from the taxes of young people to pay for the older people. That's why they keep raising Social Security age higher and higher and higher. The birth rate has dropped. If it wasn't for the influx of immigration, legal immigration, and them having children, we wouldn't have enough young people to even support the work industry and the taxes and the different things in our country. God designed the earth. He told Adam and Eve to go forth and multiply, subdue the earth. He knows what he's doing. He has a plan. If it was ever even possible that we could overpopulate the earth, Jesus would come back before that. But God knows what he's doing. He is in control. We know the Bible teaches that. The fourth excuse, a child might or does have a genetic defect. So it ought to be aborted. I saw a midwife that works in a hospital helping to deliver children post on her social media once that it's a good thing abortions are legal because moms who know their babies aren't going to live long can go ahead and take care of that now and not have to go through the pain later. It's a woman who helps bring life into the world saying that. Down syndrome is an example that has been under attack for some time. In the United States, the abortion rate for Down syndrome is 70%. 70% of the babies diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb will be killed before they come out. France, 77%. The UK, 90%. Australia, 95%. Denmark, 98%. And in Iceland, they've almost achieved 100% percent of every child who has down syndrome being aborted big thing in the news a few years ago about it you can't find a down syndrome person there anymore in iceland that's young in france they tried to to put some videos together a group did and put it out on the tv network they just wanted to show that down syndrome kids could be happy that they could live a life that is enjoyable and a french court upheld a ruling in a lower court that the French Broadcasting Council could ban that video about Down syndrome children growing up to be happy children. That's wrong, they said, because it disturbs the conscience of women. This is quoting, it's likely to disturb the conscience of women who had lawfully made different personal life choices. Made people feel guilty for their sin. Take it off. We don't want to see happy Down syndrome children. Here's what the Bible says. Exodus 4.11, the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? You remember Moses is complaining? I can't speak, Lord. He had a speech impediment. Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf? Or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God creates every life. Handicapped or not. Disabled or not. God creates every life. And it's still a blessing. Life is always a blessing. Every child is a blessing. He or she that comes out with a disability is still a blessing. More work? Yes. More sanctification? Yes. But there are plenty of examples in Scripture showing us that those children have value. They have worth. They're living beings that God has created. We ought never to think we can play God 
and eliminate those children in the womb. The fifth excuse, the fifth excuse, the child is coming into an unwanted situation. Or maybe the family's not complete. There's just a single mom. The parents aren't ready for a child. They don't want a child. Uh, maybe the home or the mom can't afford the baby. Here's how we answer that. Who can say they know what the future will bring? Who can play God and say that they're omniscient and know what the future will bring? How many times in the Bible did God take someone, an orphan, or someone who had been outcast, and bless them? How many times? And we need to take a, a real hard look at what we think is affordable. The people who say they can't afford a child can afford the most expensive iPhones and cars, furniture, technology, laptops. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. No one's omniscient. Trying to predict the future of that child and then killing it because you made that prediction is playing God. What if the child's one years old and they're not wanted? What if they're five years old and not wanted? The same argument would work. It's just another way for people to make an excuse to commit murder. Number six, the child is conceived because of rape. They say abortion is justified. Is that true? Should the child be punished for the dad's sin? Deuteronomy 24.16 actually deals with this directly. Not rape, but the father and child relationship with sin. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. See, the, the rapist goes to prison for a couple of years if he gets convicted. Then the son, who did nothing, or the daughter in the womb, pays with their life? That's not right, and it's not an excuse. There are no excuses for murder. Let's go quick through number four, how we can help. What do we do about this? It's sad. It's heartbreaking. What do we do about this? We've got to pray. You've got to pray for changed hearts. Christianity is no longer having the influence it once had in our country. People don't feel ashamed anymore to say and do things in public. Once abortion was hidden, now people proclaim it to the world that they've had one, and multiple ones. So we need to pray for changed hearts. We need to pray for our leaders, according to 1 Timothy 2. Pray for the salvation of the mothers and fathers of the babies about to be killed. We've got to change the path to abortion by praying that people's hearts will be changed, that wicked so-called Christians who aren't Christians will repent of their support of such things. Secondly, consider adoption. We need to consider adoption. We have an adoption fund here to support any family that wants to adopt. We have families that have adopted, families that have fostered and are considering fostering. Let's show the world that we care about children. Consider adoption. One of the biggest objections to pro-life is the liberals say, are you going to help raise that baby, you Christian? And we need to be able to say yes, or we know somebody who will, or we'll find somebody who will. If we run into that in our circles of somebody considering abortion, consider adoption. Proverbs 24, 11, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If there's any way we can hold them back, we ought to do it. Be loving and open to help pregnant mothers who are at risk of getting an abortion. Number three, refuse. It's the third way we can help. Refuse to use methods that end up aborting children and family planning methods. 
in vitro fertilization. Unless you're willing to implant all the babies conceived from it, don't use it. In vitro produces more than one embryo, more than one life. And you have to be willing to implant all of those or the others just go into the freezer and will eventually die. One million. When I preached this sermon four years ago, there were 600,000 embryos in the freezer. Now there's a million. Christians are starting to adopt these embryos and implant them into the mom of the adopting couple. They're called snowflake babies. One million frozen embryos right now in the U.S. They're going to die if they're not implanted after a certain time. Do we believe life begins at conception? Then we ought to follow through with that in all of our thinking. Even hormonal birth control pills can have an abortifacient effect. Well, Pastor, that's getting really personal. But if the Bible speaks to it, we need to say the truth about it. You can look up Randy Alcorn's little booklet. He's got it online on his website. Look it up. He published a book in the 80s or 90s on it. And he was shocked to see the truth. The medical drug companies list it as one of the effects. There is a chance that conception will happen. And then within the first two-week period, after two weeks, the embryo will be implanted. And there's a chance that that hormone will keep that implantation from happening. Essentially forcing the embryo, the child, to die. If it's abortifacient, we need to know about it as Christians. And we want to stay away from it. Be careful. Read that booklet if you have questions. Number four, refuse to support so-called Christian organizations that support this evil. United Church of Christ, Presbyterian Church in the USA, Evangelical Lutheran Church, United Methodist Church, Episcopals, Young Women's Christian Association, they all support infanticide, abortion. They all do. And we ought not to support them. Let's be careful even about the evangelical groups that we support. The coalitions that supposedly were founded to unite us around the gospel and speak biblical truth are growing softer and weaker on abortion. They don't speak as much about it. One prominent coalition on their website, they had twice as many articles mentioning President Trump as they did mentioning abortion. They had seven times as many articles, somewhere around 24,000 articles, mentioning race and racial unity, seven times as many as they talk about abortion. Did they not know that abortion is the leading cause of death in the black community? Where are the articles on that? Every other melanin count too, by the way. Every other melanin count under the sun, the number one leading cause of death, abortion. These organizations have lost their way. They're more concerned with politics. They're more concerned with critical race theory. They're not even speaking truth anymore about abortion. Let's be careful there. Number five, support pregnancy resource centers. Frank mentioned our announcement today. Support them. You know what they do? They give moms an ultrasound and they give them information. And 90% now, the number keeps getting higher, 90% of moms who see that life that God has created in them change their mind about abortion. They won't go through with it. They're considering it. 90% who see the ultrasound will not go through with it. It used to be in the 70s. Now it's, it's coming up as more and more women are understanding this truth. Pregnancy Resource Centers helped 1.85 million people in 2019. How many of those saved a life because of it? Number six, vote biblically. I put this last for a reason. It's last on the list. Why? Because we've been 48 years since Roe v. Wade 
conservative presidents, pro-life presidents, conservative Supreme Court justices have come and gone, and there's been no change. It is not the first thing you ought to think about. You ought to think about prayer. You ought to think about the gospel, not supporting groups that fund and help with abortion. But it is important to vote biblically. And I know you're thinking, well, we just had an election. It's too late. It's never too late because there's more elections coming. Vote for people that are pro-life. Vote for people that care about life. I agree with John Adams, who was a Christian, an early founder. He said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. If you don't have anybody to vote for that has morals, that's going to be really challenging. So that's why we start with prayer, with preaching, the church, church planting. But it is important to vote according to scriptural, biblical beliefs. But it's not more important than everything else we've talked about. All right, let's move to the last major point. And this is important. I always want to end this type of sermon on this point. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Abortion is murder. But complete forgiveness of this terrible sin is offered to all who repent and put their faith in Christ. There's no sin that Christ can't forgive. Complete forgiveness. Jesus says in Mark 3.28, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they utter, whatever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Listen to my sermon in Luke on that. I think that could only be committed when you watch Jesus' miracles and attribute them to Satan. Everything can be forgiven, Jesus says. All sins. If we believe the gospel, we know all sins. If you've had an abortion, if you've helped somebody have an abortion, if you've taken them to a place to have an abortion, if you told them to get an abortion, paid for it, supported it in any way, you need to remember the gospel. All sins can be forgiven if we turn from it, if we repent from it, and put our faith in Christ. This is so key if you've been through this. Yes, it's a sin. We don't cover that up. We, we don't try to smooth over it. But we remember that Christ bought me knowing that. Christ paid for my sin knowing that I committed that sin. His forgiveness, is it really enough? It is. It's eternal forgiveness. David, the most holy man in the Old Testament, wrote more psalms than anyone else. Chosen as a king by God, the one that the Messiah would come from and that would reign in the likeness of David. He had a man murdered. He committed adultery and then he had her husband murdered. Was he forgiven? Here's what he said when he was convicted of his sin by Nathan the prophet. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, to David, the Lord has also taken away your sin and you shall not die. There was forgiveness. The Lord took away that sin. There's forgiveness in Christ. The Apostle Paul, the, the ideal Christian in the New Testament, before he was saved, he used to love to punish and to kill and to see killed Christians. We have no record of him participating in the killing he did encourage it. He did enjoy it. Because he says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. 
even though he was all those things. And violent aggressor there means he, he found great joy in his work, capturing Christians, taking them back, getting all the men around, laying their coats at his feet so they could all stone this Christian. Here's what Paul says. Yet I was shown mercy. Yes, it's a sin. Let's not set that aside. Let's actually tell people the truth and vote accordingly and help moms who need it and put our money and resources where we can help. But at the same time, know that there's forgiveness for those who've sinned. If you've had an abortion, forced somebody to, took someone, told someone it was okay, participated in that industry in any way, you want to know that there's forgiveness in Christ. That's the gospel. I know there's people who've had it in a room this size. It's without a doubt. You can't have that many a day and not have people get saved later and come to our church and that's in their past. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Know Christ and what he's done for us. Know there's forgiveness. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord's help in getting rid of such an evil sin. Lord, we know you're in control. You're sovereign over all things. Lord, we feel so helpless sometimes in seeing the world continue to love sin, support sin. We know that we're just one or two or a few Christians here. Give us wisdom, Lord. Give us a desire for holiness. Help us be an example, first of all, and remind us to pray for those, those who are contemplating this, those lawmakers who make it so easy, who support it, who even want our tax money to pay for it. We pray for them today, Lord. We pray that you would change hearts, that you would cause them to see righteousness. Even an unbeliever knows right from wrong. We pray that you would convict them. Lord, help uh, every true church proclaim the truth of abortion, that it is murder. But let us also preach the gospel. Lord, remind us all today in our hearts of the gospel that we've all sinned, that we've all committed great sins in our heart. For those today that have participated in any way in this industry of killing unborn children, we pray, Lord, that they have already been convicted of their sin. They've already offered it up to you. We pray that their hearts have been changed on this matter. They no longer would ever support such a thing. And I pray that you would give them full assurance of salvation. That you would give them a knowledge that they have been forgiven. Remind them of that, Lord. Comfort them and help them to be workers now for righteousness, for truth, for holiness. We pray this in the name of our merciful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.